Cool. Well, welcome to South Bay Church. So glad that you joined. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open to John chapter 13. We're being, we've been in a series called In Motion, where we talk about five bold moves that Jesus taught people to make in life in order to experience life at its fullness. So today's move is to love sacrificially. Love sacrificially. And sacrificial love can look different for, any, for every type of person, right? Depending on what is a sacrifice to you. To me, one of the things that I don't do well in is, is, for example, seeing people in pain. So if I go to the hospital to visit you and you're in pain, and this has happened before, I have left the hospital that I went, where I went to pray for somebody uh, to get better. I left on a wheelchair because uh, I passed out, and it's very embarrassing. I'm a very, very horrible pastor when it comes to hospital visitation. In fact, if I show up at the hospital to visit you, it's either because you are in really, really bad shape or because I'm sacrificially loving you. It's one of those, but it's not easy for me. And you know, sacrificial love is one of those things that we, we hear about, we kind of understand in some ways, but it's different when we think of it in the, in the context of our personal lives. So I wanna read this text to us. It's a passage of scripture that is pretty well known about Jesus, an event in the life of Jesus that kind of marked him as a leader uh, in, in his generation and even in, the day, in, in our day. People, when people think of Jesus, they often think of this specific event. But what I want to do today is actually take it to a new level of depth and meaning to us. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 13, I'm going to read through the whole text and then go back to the beginning as we get started. It says this, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. In some translations it says he showed the extent of his love. Verse 2, it was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God someday. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around them. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. But Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. So Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my, and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Then Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him, and that is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. Then lastly, he says, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was just doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to watch, wash each other's feet. And I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. And I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. And now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Father, I pray that as we talk about this event in the life of your son, Jesus, on the earth, that you would help us to understand it in its full meaning. 
I pray that you would show us what sacrificial love means, that you would bring light to this text, that you would illuminate our hearts. I pray for those that are exploring relationship with you here this morning, that you would also give them the ability to understand your word. I pray that all of us would take a step toward you today as a result of this text. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me give you a little bit of background before I get into this. You know, John, the guy that's writing this book, he is basically writing as the story of the life of Jesus, his testimony, his eyewitness, uh, you know, writing of what he saw in the life of Jesus. In the first 12 chapters, he describes Jesus' ministry, all the different things that he did. The word love is, is mentioned in the first 12 chapters six times. And in the chapters 13 through 17, that describes basically the last few conversations that Jesus had on the earth. The word love is mentioned 31 times. Jesus, at the end of his life, began to highlight the thing that he thought was most important for them to understand. They might have gotten it, they had mentioned it before, he, he, he showed it before, but in his last few conversations with his followers, he kept mentioning love, 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 love. He wanted love to be the mark of his life and the mark of his followers. And at this event right here that we just read, that we're going to unpack right now, it represents two things. And I want you to write this down if you have a pen uh, in your program. There's a place for you to take notes. This event is both, one, an example to be imitated and an illustration to be understood. Okay, so it's an example, a physical example that Jesus is saying, look, I want you to imitate, to follow what, I've, what I'm doing. In fact, at the end of the text, he says, look, you've seen me do this, now I want you to follow my example and do it. It's a physical example to be imitated, but it's also a spiritual illustration to be understood. In fact, Peter wasn't getting it. He said, Jesus, don't, don't wash my feet, never, ever, ever. And Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, or unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And he's a little confused. Oh, then wash my hands and wash my body, whatever you want. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't need to wash everything. You've already been washed, but one of you is not washed. And he wasn't understanding. He was interpreting it through, in a physical sense. He wasn't saying that, that Judas had B.O., you know, it wasn't just a physical thing. He was, he was saying, look, one of you is not washed. There's, it means there's sin in the camp. There's one of you here who has not allowed me to wash you spiritually. So it's a physical example and a spiritual illustration. And he even said to Peter, you don't understand right now what's happening, but someday you will. So let's unpack those two. And I want to focus primarily on, on just a couple verses. There's a lot in here, but let me start in the beginning and just read this. It says that before the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to the Father. He knew it was his last days. He loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. So he showed them the extent of his love, it says. He's basically saying, look, I want to I show you the depth, how long, how wide, how deep my love really is. And then there's a weird type of verse in here. It says it was time for supper. Uh, actually, it says the devil had already prompted Jesus, the son of his care, to betray Jesus. So Jesus already knew the betrayer was there. And it says Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and, retur and would return to God. It's almost as if John is preparing us for what, what he's about to share. He's saying, look, I'm going to share with you something that's very, very human, but let me make something very clear to you. Jesus knew that he had come from God 
and that he was going to return to God, and he had authority over all things. And before I'm going to tell you what Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, is about to do, I want you to make sure to understand this, that he knew that he is God, that he had authority over all things, that he belongs to God, that he would return to God. So don't misunderstand what I'm about to show you and tell you is what he's saying. And then listen, I want to walk you through some of the moves that Jesus made that night. And what I want you to do is this. I'm going to share with you five basic moves that he did and how they illustrate something and how they are an example for something. But what I would like you to do is actually consider the one move that maybe God is whispering to you and saying, this is the move for you. This is the, the shift. This is the one that I want you to focus on. You might not remember all five, but I want you to pick one. As I'm talking about it, that one will jump at you, and it'll, it'll start making sense to you. And you know, this, this is the one for me. Write that down and circle it, underline it in your text, whatever you want to do. But let's, let's walk through it. The first thing that we saw Jesus do is this. It says that he got up from the table. He got up from, it wasn't anyone else that got up from the table. Jesus got up from the table taking the initiative to show the sacrificial type of love. Illustrating God initiating love toward us. You see, this is, was, was much more than just a physical demonstration. It was a spiritual illustration that God came to earth and took the initiative to restore relationship with humanity. That it wasn't just uh, God saying, oh, you know what, they came to me, so let me go to them. No, no, no. The scriptures say very clearly that we love because he loved us first. First John four nineteen, It says that while we were still sinners, Christ came for us. See, before you even showed up here this morning, God was already after your heart. Before I ever decided to say, God, I, I want more of you, he had already decided he wanted more of me. Before we go to him and initiate relationship with him, he has already initiated relationship with us. And some people might be in here because like you're a husband and your wife dragged you to church this morning or, or maybe you're a student and you're like, ah, my parents make me come here. But I'm telling you this, that Jesus already initiated love towards you individually. He doesn't just look at us as a people. He looks at us as an individual and he takes a step toward us. And what Jesus is showing us as, as an example to imitate is that sacrificial lovers take the initiative to love. This might mean to some of you that, that you are in such a crappy relationship that you are so angry and bitter and you're saying, that person needs to come apologize to me, but the sacrificial act of love for you is to take the initiative to forgive or to repent, to turn from what you've done. Sometimes God will look at us and he says, you know what, don't just wait for others to come to you with the need. Don't just wait for you to see the need as it comes, but you take the initiative in your workplace, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your family, toward your kids. Take the initiative, step out of the table to serve, to love sacrificially. Can you imagine what marriages would look like if we stopped? You know what that's like. Like we, we always wait for the other one to like initiate reconciliation. You had that like dumb little fight and you're laying in bed and you don't want to go to sleep before you fix the trouble. And you're thinking, ah, should I start? No, they are, it's their fault. What if we said, I will take the initiative 
things began to change. That was one of the first moves. He got out from the table initiating contact with us. And then he says this, that he took off his robe. The robe is not just a, a robe in their society. If you, had, if you were rich, you had an awesome robe that was very expensive. If you were poor, you had a poor robe. Your robe was in some ways dictating or, or showing people who you were. And what Jesus did is he took off his robe to come extend love toward them, illustrating God giving up his divine glory to rescue us. That it wasn't just in the physical that Jesus took off his robe and became a servant, but in the spiritual realm, Philippians 2, 2 says this, that you must have the same attitude as Jesus. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and came in human form. Jesus was giving his disciples an illustration to understand that if they would open their eyes, they would see that something big is happening here. I am not just a good man serving you right now. I was with God in the beginning. When, you, when the beginning of creation was happening, I was already there. See, Jesus did not just decide to, uh, or wasn't just born on the earth and had a beginning here. Before he came, he was being worshipped by angels. He had all of authority in heaven. He was in all of his glory, and he decided, the, the scripture says, that he emptied himself of his glory to come down to our level, to be with us, to love us, to relate with us, to be a mediator between us and his Father. He stripped himself of glory to rescue us. The point he's trying to have us imitate is this, as sacrificial lovers are willing to be undignified. Let me explain what this means. In fact, if you, if you flip one chapter back in John chapter 12, you see a story that's really, really powerful. I'm not going to get into it, but Mary, one of the followers of Jesus, she said, it says that he was at a dinner table with some of his friends, and then Mary came, showed up, and she took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume worth a year's worth of waste. If you make $100,000, this is like you getting a perfume bottle that costs $100,000. And coming up to Jesus, she broke it, she anointed his feet. Another text says it was his head and his feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. And as she's doing this, everybody around is saying, this is ridiculous. One guy says, this, this can be used to help the poor. Everyone's thinking, this is, not only is it ridiculous because of how expensive it is, but in their day, a woman couldn't even ha let their hair down in public. But she put her hair down in public, bowed before a rabbi, a teacher, which you're not supposed to do if you're a woman, and then on top of it all, wipes his feet with her hair. And everyone around is ridiculing her because of her posture, because of what she's doing. And Jesus turns and he says, what she's doing is good. The poor will always be with you, but I will not always be with you. He applauded her act of sacrificial love. What he's saying is, look, to follow me, to love me is priceless. You have to be willing to look foolish at times for the sake of your love for me. You know, I think it's awesome when I hear stories. There's a girl named Lindsay here, one of our group leaders, who, who she decided to move from one side of the bay to be right next to our campus of our church so that she would be able to serve better. 
We hear of people who, who move, who change jobs, who quit jobs, who start jobs, who change their whole life to be a part of the mission of God. And the world looks at that and says, that's, that's weird. Did you really do that because of the church, because of your love for God? And, and yes, what Jesus is saying is this, the sacrificial lovers are willing to be undignified, to look weird, to be misunderstood. Because when we've experienced the love of God, everything changes. There is nothing better. And the message to us, church, is this, that with this year, maybe this is what we need to hear. Let's do whatever it takes to extend the love of God toward people. What Jesus says to us is, look, my people, do whatever it takes. It might look foolish in your workplace. It might look weird to your neighbors. Whatever it takes, it might look really stu- stupid. It might be, you might be ridiculed. Whatever it takes to show my love to people around you. But not only did he take off his robe, he then wrapped a towel around his waist. I brought a towel here just so so you can have a visual with me as we think about this. What he did is this. A towel in their day represented a servant's identity. If you've watched the movies, you understand, right? A servant always has a cloth wrapped around their waist. When Jesus took off his robe, that was a statement by itself. But when he picked up the towel... And he put it around his waist. And he began to sacrificially love his disciples. That changed things. It was illustrating God taking the humble position of a slave. But not only that, he was saying to us that the example to imitate is that sacrificial lovers embrace a servant's identity. In that same text in Philippians 2, it says, Instead, he, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born in human, as a human being. He humbled himself in obedience to God. That Jesus not only took off his glory to come to us, but then he wrapped himself in human form and served the ones he created. And this type of love was unheard of. In fact, right after this text, this, this event, Jesus turns to them and he says, Look, I am giving you a new commandment. This is John 13, 34. So now I'm giving you a new commandment to love each other. Just as I've loved you, you should love each other. And by this, your love for one another, you will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You see, love was already a commandment. Right, like if you read all throughout the Old Testament, it's it's said, love God, love others. But yet he came and he says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. The difference was not that you ought to love. The difference was this little phrase, just as I. This type of love is different. You've heard before, love your God, love people. If they love you back, love good people. He's saying, now look. This type of love, there's a new depth to my commitment now. Just as I have loved you. And when they saw Jesus nailed to a cross, the Son of God who was worshipped by angels on a cross, bleeding and struggling to, to breathe on that cross because he loved them that much, you can imagine what these disciples, these followers were thinking. That this is how I'm supposed to love the world? 
And when they saw that the very people that were striping his back and ripping his beard and punching his face and nailing him to the cross were the very people that he turned to and says, I forgive you. Imagine, just as I Now, we need to love the same way. That is the new commandment. It's radical. It's irrational. It's uncommon. It's bold. That's why these are called bold moves. It's not just saying, okay, okay, I'll I'll love more this year. It is saying, no, I am going to love just as he did, sacrificially to everybody at all occasions. No matter what the cost, I will do what it takes to show God's love to people. It's a sacrificial love that became the mark. It's not based on anything else. In fact, he says, this is how the world will know you. The identity of a servant of Jesus, when he wrapped the towel, he's saying, look, you ought to be known. It's your new identity. Not by our race. We shouldn't be identified by our nationality, our ethnicity, our knowledge, our religion, or even our church commitment. He's saying, don't let anything else be your identity. Not your computer choice, I'm a Mac type of guy, not, not your type of car, not your, your profession, nothing. Should be. When people think of your name, they should think sacrificial love right there. He's saying, let this be the mark of my followers. I was at school uh, last week taking my daughter, uh, or picking up my daughter, and one of the parents there came up to me and said, hey, what do you, hey Felipe, what do you do? And I, I said, I'm a pastor. And you know, if you're, that's like the question. When you, when you answer that question to people, when they ask, they're like, oh, wow, I shouldn't have asked that. And so he, I said, I'm a pastor. And he says, you're a what? I said, I'm a pastor, man. And he said, oh, wow, I thought you'd be like in the tech business. And no, I'm in the Jesus business. And he's, he said, oh, that's weird. And he, and he tells me something strange. He goes, you know, my, my wife's sister is from Vietnam. She was a Buddhist, and she became a Christian this year. And I went up to her, and I said, you're, you're Vietnamese. You can't be a Christian. I was like, dude, are you kidding me? See, we have a, a major identity crisis in our, in our, we don't know how to partner our spirituality with our physical reality. And I, I went out to explain, I was like, man, if, just because you are, you know, Vietnamese doesn't mean you can't know God or can't know Jesus. And, and there is a misunderstanding in terms of our identity. What Jesus is saying is, look, this is your identity. Make your identity your spiritual reality, not your physical one. But then not only did he do that, he poured water in a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet, illustrating the fact that God would be shedding his blood to wash away our sins. And not only that, he was giving us an example to imitate the sacrificial lovers accept the high cost of love. John fifteen twelve says, Love each other in the same way I've loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. It is saying, I will do whatever the cost, I would, I would give it up. See, it's easy to love when people love us back or when it has no cost. But when love or forgiving or extending grace to somebody that hates you, that you don't like, that, that hurts you, that, have, that, that, that smell different, that look different, that look, that, you know, that act different, people that are unlike us to do that, there is usually a cost. And usually we can't do it unless we've been washed first, which is why Jesus says, look, unless I wash you, not only will you not understand this, you won't even belong to me, Peter. He's saying, look, those of us that have been washed, when we come to Jesus and he washes us, 
and, his, and we feel the, the, his love toward us, we understand that sacrificial lovers have to accept the cost of true love. The cost might be simply going to somebody and saying, I am a follower of Jesus where I am forgiving you and I am restoring this. So taking the initiative to take the step. And then lastly, it says that he began to wash the disciples' feet. Not just one, all, including the one who would betray him, Judas. Illustrating the fact that God's love extends to all people without preference. And, to, and showing us that sacrificial lovers love uncomfortably extreme. We go all out. All people matter to God. Single people, little kids, old people, different people. All people matter to God. And notice this, that the, the object of God's love was not the environment. It was not an animal. It was not an object. It was people. People matter to God most. If there's anything we ought to devote our lives to, it's the ministry of people. It's loving people the way that God loves people. You see, servants of the lowest rank would wash feet. You, it wasn't even Jewish. It had, you, you couldn't even be Jewish if you were going to wash feet, if you, were, if you were in a Jewish household. You had to be a non-Jew servant of the lowest rank to wash, if, to wash the foot of someone. And Jesus was saying, look, you got to do it no matter what the cost, even if it's uncomfortably extreme. That's why for us, even our, we talk about relationships all the time and we promote small groups and life groups because it's so important for us to invest in the lives of each other. And let me end with this. That Jesus then says, a little key phrase I want you to underline even in your Bible if you have it. He says, do you understand, verse 12, what I was doing? And the question he asks us today is this, do you understand? Have you come to a point where you understand that my love transforms? It can transform your marriage. It can transform your workplace. It can transform your college. It can transform your friendships. It can transform a community, a church. It can transform a region. It can transform the world. Do you understand that it starts with you is the question that he asks. And on that night, he did something that drove in this value. It was the same night, most people agree, of the Passover, where Jesus then went on and picked up a piece of bread that looked very similar to this. And he broke it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body broken for you, given for you. Eat it. Remember what I'm about to do. And then he got the juice or the, the, the wine and he said to them, this is my blood given for you, shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You see, there is a, something that we know about the Jewish tradition. They, during the Passover, which was a celebration of when the death angel passed over their house and God brought salvation to the people, the Jewish people would have three pieces of matzah like this. In a, in a bag called the matzah tosh, and they would remove the middle matzah, and they would break it. They would wrap it in linen. They would hide it somewhere in the house and then participate in the Passover meal. After the meal, the kids of the household would go and try to locate the matzah bread and bring it back for a gift. And there were three requirements for this matzah bread that to this day the Jewish people still observe. The matzah bread had to be striped. It had to be pierced. 
and it had to be unleavened which leaven or yeast represents sin to them they don't understand but to us followers of Jesus we understand that the middle matzah was the son of God coming to earth and when they break it it was saying that he would be broken for us and when he was hidden wrapped in a cloth was significant to us because he was in a grave for three days wrapped in a cloth and just like the kids would find it and bring it back for a gift when he was found alive he became the gift to the world and those that come to him and partake of this gift receive eternal life we understand this this Isaiah 53 says that he was pierced for our rebellion he was crushed for our sins he was beaten so we can be whole he was whipped so we can be healed all of us like sheep have strayed away we've left God's path to follow our own yet the Lord laid upon him the sins of us And what we're going to do now as a way of committing ourselves to God is we're going to come to the table. And what I'd like to challenge you to do is as you take a look at this bread and you look at the piercing and you look at the, the stripes and the fact that it's unleavened, sinless. And as you take it, you're, you're saying this to God. I am not only receiving what you've done for me, but I am going to live this if it costs me to be pierced and striped, whatever it takes, I'm yours, God. Father, we commit ourselves to you. We understand, Jesus, that you pay the ultimate price, that you are the bread of life, that you're the one that gives us life. And I pray that we would come to you and receive you right now. If this is your first time saying, God, I want to follow you, just say in your heart as you come to the table even, say, Jesus, I understand that you were pierced and striped and lived a perfect life for me. And on that cross, you were broken so that I can be whole. And you were put away in the grave, but you are alive today, and I believe that. And though I'm a sinner, I know my sin was on that cross. And there's forgiveness by faith. I come to you and as you come to the table I want to encourage you to make that commitment today as we sing this next song we have two tables out in the back and we have two in the front so anytime throughout this song when you're ready come and make your commitment partake of the bread you can dip it in the juice and then just eat it right there at the table and then go back to your seats and worship along with